Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Father, we come before you and we ask that you speak to us today. Lord, we didn't come here to hear a story. We didn't come here to pass the time. We came here that you would speak to us. We don't want to waste our time. Life is short, Lord. On occasion, things happen in our life that remind us how short life is, and we don't want to waste our time. So we want you to speak to us. And Lord, we ask that you prepare our heart. Remove every distraction. Remove every worry, every concern about work and bills and sickness and, and relationships. Remove everything that comes to distract us from your word. And allow your word to find good soil in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I want to start by telling you about somebody that I met approximately 10 years ago. This is a guy from work who um, is a very smart guy, very humble guy, really nice guy, really easygoing. And he was, he was very good at what he did. I work in the software industry. And he was a project manager for the, a company we were buying software from. And I admired this guy. He was maybe, maybe 10 years older than me, 5, 10 years older than me. And it looked like he, he was just really good at what he did. And in many ways, I wanted to be like him. In, in professionally, I, I wanted to... I wanted to be able to do what he did. I wanted to be able to communicate how he communicated and just be like him. And I left the company that I was working at for five years and came back recently, five years later, and I found out that he had been promoted to director of engineering of this big multinational software firm. So it was kind of a big deal. Um, and so I was impressed, and I said, wow, things are going really well for him. And then I, this was a few months ago that I learned about his promotion. And only a couple weeks ago, I came to find out that he may have cancer. Now, I don't know the details for sure, because he is a, he's a vendor. He works across the other side of the country. But this, I'm guessing at his age, 40-year-old man, very successful very humble, nice guy, just good-looking, everything looked like his life was perfect. And I came to find out he may have been diagnosed with cancer. I don't know, if, like I said, I don't know for sure, but I know he's going for treatment every single day. He has to cut out of work and go to the doctor. And I've kind of understood from what some people have said that it's cancer. So I want to do two things. I'm going to ask you guys to pray for him. The Bible says to pray for the sick. So if we could just stand up. I don't even want to say his name because some, some people here may know him. So um, we're just going to pray. God knows who he is. And, and you'll see um, how, this is, how this story is going to relate to your life in a few minutes. But let's pray for him that God would heal him and that God would convince him that God is with him. Father, we come before you and we pray for this man. We pray for this gentleman. We pray that you would wrap him in your arms, Lord. You know where he is right now. You know what he's feeling. You know the doubts that he has. You know the questions that he has in his heart. You know 
how difficult this time is for him and for his family. And we know that you've instructed us to pray for healing. Lord, only you can remove sickness in a miraculous way, in ways that even doctors don't understand. We pray that you heal him. We pray that you bless him, that you remove all cancer, that you remove all sickness, everything that's ailing him, in Jesus' name. And I pray that your name would be glorified. Lord, I pray that he would learn in this time how much you love him. And I pray that this experience in his life would come for his blessing and to glorify your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So I thank you for praying for him. And, you know, when we receive news like that, it can be, it is a bucket of cold water that comes upon us. And when we receive news like that, when somebody passes away, when somebody's diagnosed with an illness, it causes you to reflect on life. And it causes you to reflect on what's really important in life. Because many times we get caught up in the little things. We get so carried away and sometimes when either a death in the family comes or an illness or some traumatic event, we step back and we say, you know, I'm so worried about this and that and the other and I haven't paid attention to what's really important. And if we look in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, and we're going to go 10, 38 through 42, we're going to see that this is a common occurrence. It says, now it happened as they went and he entered into a certain, a certain village, a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Yoli Pacheco was not it. So a certain woman named Martha entered, uh, welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who, was also, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Next verse. We're going to go through 42. But Martha was distracted with much serving and approached him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all of this work alone? Therefore, go tell her to help me. So she was stressed out. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about so many things. Next verse. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part which will not be taken away from her. Can any of us relate to that? Can any of us relate to being worried and troubled about so many things? I don't know if it's an accurate... A lot of people say stress is at an all-time high. I don't know if that's true because I, I didn't live 100 years ago. But doesn't it feel, for me, it feels like it can be said, stress is at an all-time high. The crisis, the economy, healthcare insurance. How are we going to make it through the next day? How are we going to make it through the next year? And, and I know from talking to people that people would agree with me. Stress is at an all-time high. So Jesus said, Martha, you're worried about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. And she has chosen the good part. So how do we make sure? See, Martha was worried about a lot, but she wasn't worried about what was important. And Mary wasn't worried about much. But she had chosen the good part, which wouldn't be taken from her. So how do we go from being in, Martha's, being in Martha's situation, where we're worried about everything, but it's not important? 
How do we go from there to worrying about the few things? Not even worrying because Mary wasn't worried. It says she chose the good part. So how do we choose the good part and not get lost in the noise of the many things that come to burden us in this life? Well, Jesus said in John 10.10, can we go there? John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So we're saying, how is it that we are to live this life? How do we focus on what's important and not get overwhelmed by what's not important? And Jesus said, so we have a, we have a, a clue here, we have a beginning, which is that Jesus came that you may have life <clears throat> and that you may have it more abundantly. So we need to come to Jesus. And we're going we're gonna to get, get more into this today, but we need to... Jesus has a life for you. He has an abundant life for you. It's not a life like, he's, like we saw it here. It's not a life overwhelmed with the little things. It's a life where you can choose the good part. There's an abundant life that Jesus came to give you. And so if you're not living that abundant, if you're not living abundant life, if you can't relate to this verse, I want you to know something. That life exists. And I want you to know something. That's why Jesus came. When we see this cross and we're reminded of his sacrifice, when we study scriptures, when we come to church, it's all about, Jesus. this is what he's telling us. This is Jesus speaking. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So God wants you to, Jesus came that you might have life. So if you don't have it, if you don't, if you can't relate to these verses, I want you to know that this is what Jesus has for you. Let's keep going. Jesus says in Matt, let's go to Matthew eleven twenty eight. This is Jesus. He says, <clears throat> excuse me. I should have come out and sung a little bit. It might have cleared my throat. <clears> throat> come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the first thing we see is that Jesus says, come to me. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're going to spend our time today studying this verse, or these set of verses. So the first thing he says is, come to me. If we're going to learn how to live this life, we have to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus doesn't mean to repent and to accept the Lord. And Christians have a term or a phrase where they say, come to Jesus. And they think that means when you accept the Lord. And it does. But it doesn't end there. Jesus says, come to me who? Those of you who don't know the Lord? No. It says, come to me. Let's go back one verse. Let's go to 28. One more. Yeah, there you go. Come to me who? All of those who are burdened and heavy laden. Many in the church are heavy laden. Coming to Jesus doesn't mean exclusively accept the Lord, Christ as Lord and Savior. Many of us accept Christ as Lord and Savior, and then we're far, we live our life far from Jesus. What does it look like when we come to Jesus? 
Let's go to Psalm 23. How do I know if I've come to Jesus? How do I know if I'm with Jesus? Let's look at Psalm 23. It says, Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have no need. I have no lack of any good thing because the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. If you're lying down in green pastures, you're with the Lord. If you're not lying in green pastures, you have to come to the Lord. I don't mean come to the Lord as in become a Christian. I mean you have to allow him to shepherd you. There's many people in the church that are, they call themselves a Christian. They believe they're a Christian. But day to day, they're not being shepherded by the Lord. And, that, and I'm, I'm, I'm the first one that's guilty of that. I'm a Christian. I'm preaching today. The pastor called me to say, can you share a message? But many times, I don't allow myself to be shepherded by the Lord. And I don't find myself in these green pastures. I don't find myself besides still waters. So I have to come to the Lord. And maybe that makes it easier for you to understand. I have to come to the Lord that he might lie me down in green pastures. I get burdened and frustrated. And sometimes my wife, the other night, my wife and I were looking at each other and we were like, how did our life get so complicated? And then our three girls come running in and we get seven phone calls from work and church and a hundred other things going on. And we say, oh yeah, that's what it is. And, but we get caught up in all this, and we're not lying in green pastures and sitting beside still waters. So we, we have to come to the Lord. And you, this is what it looks like when we're walking with the Lord. We're in green pastures, or let me say it differently. This is what it looks like when you allow yourself to be shepherded by the Lord. That means when you hear his voice and you follow him. He leads me beside still waters. Can we, next verse. He restores my soul. This is, you know, this is interesting. This is David. Here's another way to ram the point home that this is talking to us. David is writing the Psalms, right? David is the guy who wrote the Psalms, and he had to say, Lord, renew in me the joy of my salvation. If David had to say, Lord, renew in me the joy of my salvation, how much more do we have to say, Lord, renew in me Renew it in me. It's not that when we say come to Jesus, I'm not talking about the religious phrase, come to Jesus. I'm saying go to him in your prayer closet. Go to him in your private time. Allow yourself. You know what the thing with the, the, thing with the sheep is that the sheep don't know where they're going. The sheep only know who is giving them, showing them the way. They don't know where the water is. They don't know where the green pasture is. And many times we get into trouble because we think we know the way or because we want something. So we go charging after what we think we want, what we think is going to bring us peace, and it brings us everything but peace. And so David had to say, the Lord restores my soul. And so we also, when we find that our soul needs to be restored, we have to come to him. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Let me ask you a question. And I have to ask myself a question. Who's leading me? Am I leading myself? Because that can be a source of frustration when you drive into a dead end. Who's leading you? How is it 
that this verse doesn't reflect my life? Who is leading you? Who's making the decisions in your life? Is it your own will? Your own desires? Is it your worry? Is it your lack of faith? Is it fear? Many people, some people are driven by their desires and they go after them. Other people are driven by fear and they run from them. But God wants us to be led by him. And it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's go to the next verse, please. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even in the valley of the shadow of death, even when there are things to fear, even when I should fear, even if common sense tells me to fear, it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I'm crazy? No. Because I don't care? No. Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this was David talking. So if David feels this way, None of us are above that. It says, you prepare a table for me. I believe it's verse 5. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. An abundant, overflowing life when we're shepherded by the Lord. When, the, when we allow the Lord to lead us. When we want to be in the driver's seat, you can do it. God gave us free will. God, as a matter of fact, you know you can do it because you've been doing it all your life. And I am, and I have too. But when you, when you let the Lord prepare your table instead of you preparing your own table, when the Lord prepares a table, guess what? You don't decide what you're going to eat. You don't decide when you're going to eat it. You don't decide what you're going to get. When you allow the Lord to prepare your table, it's sweet, it satisfies, it overflows. He anoints your head with oil, your cup runs over. When you try to set the table, a lot of times you find that the food is bitter, that the food is, is, doesn't satisfy and it leaves you hungry. Surely goodness and kind, loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dwell talks about remaining, talks about living, but it talks about remaining, not running from the presence of God as soon as I have a bright idea, not, not I come to God like they used to say, and sometimes people talk about church and they say, you come, you fill your batteries and then you go, or you come, you fill your tank and then you go. Well, this doesn't talk about filling your gas, your spiritual gas tank, and then even though the analogy applies in certain cases. We, we're edified when we come to church. But David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And he didn't mean the four walls. He meant I will abide with God. Where God is, that, there I will be forever. Amen. So Jesus said, if we go to Philippians 4, actually it's not Jesus, this is uh, Paul. Go to Philippians 4, 6. 6 through 7. So in that verse that we started reading, it says that when we come to Jesus, he gives us rest. So if you need rest, you know where to go now. It says, Jesus said, learn from me. He said, 
Um, and this is in the previous verse, which we won't go there, just leave it on Philippians. But he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. We have to learn, not only, not only we have to learn. Jesus says, learn from me. Jesus wants to teach you how to live. This is not philosophy. This is not, I read a verse and I'm trying to stretch it out and see how can I, how can I make something up here that would be interesting. Jesus said, learn from me. So Jesus wants to teach us how to walk. And many times we're worried like Martha and troubled about so many things. And Jesus says, unnecessarily so. Meaning, yes, you're worried and no, you don't need to. Those are the wrong things to focus on. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing. What? I wish I knew that before. I know most of you have read it before, but we forget. Be anxious for nothing. How's that for a lesson from Christ? This is Paul speaking based on the teachings of Christ. But this is God's word. God doesn't want you to be anxious for anything. How different is that from the way you and I live? How different is that from we live in an age of, of incredible stress? Stress is at an all-time high. Well, not if you walk with Jesus. It is, but not if you walk with Jesus. If we learn from Jesus, we learn, be anxious for nothing. Well, how am I going to not be anxious about these situations? It says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, or in everything by prayer, and yeah, let's go like that. By everything in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So don't worry, just go ask God that he would take care of it. Don't be anxious. There's another verse that says, which one of you by worrying can add a single cubit to his height or add an hour to his life? So not only does it say, be, don't be anxious because God's going to take care of it. He also says, don't be anxious because anxiety doesn't help the situation. So we worry and fret, but that's not God's will. That's not, God's given us another way to live. Being anxious for nothing in prayer and supplication, making our requests made known to God. Watch this, verse 7. Make your requests made known to God. And instead of being anxious for everything, you'll be anxious for nothing, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart. Anxious for nothing, peace that surpasses all comprehension, guarding your heart, that's abundant life. No anxiety and peace that surpasses all understanding. Now we're starting to get towards understanding how to live an abundant life. But we're often far from that. We're often far from, from living this. And so that's evidence that we need to learn. We need to make a conscious effort to learn how to live. Christ wants to teach us how to live. We need to make a conscious effort to learn how to live. Matthew 6.25. And the reason we're going through a lot of verses here is because we said we want to learn from Jesus. And Jesus had a lot to say on the topic of life and how to live. And how to have... It says He came that you might have abundant life. So He talked a lot about how to live, which is why we're just... 
We're just taking these verses and saying, what did Jesus say about this? What did Jesus say about worry? What did he say about anxiety? What did he say about the things that concern me? It says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. This is crazy. Where did this guy live? Did this guy live in the, in, the, in the islands or something? No. He went through the same things that she, he went through much worse than what you went through in doing God's will. But Jesus said, for this reason, I say, do not worry about your life. That's not us. That's not me. It is when I read the verse and I snap out of it. But a lot of times we have to snap ourselves out. This life, this society, everything about the way we live outside of Christ teaches us to worry and stress and fret. It says, don't worry about anything, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Life is more than paying bills. Life is more than just Stress and work. Life is more than just your concerns and your worries. Next verse, please. Look at the birds of the air. So how, if we don't worry about what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink and what we're going to wear, how are we going to survive? Look, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. God says, and this is where faith comes in, God says he's going to feed you. God says, don't worry about those things. I'm going to take care of you. Next verse. Oh, well, actually, let's stay there for a second. He says, I'm going to feed you. Then he makes a comparison. If I feed the birds of the air, are you not worth much more than them? And of course we are. That He's using that. It's like a rhetorical question to say, open up your eyes. I take care of all creation. And they don't have bank accounts, they don't have retirement funds, they don't have social security, they don't have a doctor when they get sick, they don't have, um, they don't have all these things that you guys have. And yet I take care of them. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and I feed them. So God's going to feed you. God is going to feed you. Now, you, if you want to prepare your table, I want to know what's for dinner. I want to know what time is going to be served. I want to pick dessert. All right. Have a stressful lunch. Have a stressful dinner. But if you say, God, I know that you've called me not to worry. I know that you're going to feed me. Then your cup will overflow. Then you're going to lie in green pastures and God is going to prepare a table before you. God will prepare the table. Let's go to the next verse, please. Which of you, by worrying, can add a cubit, a single cubit, to his stature? A cubit is a unit of measurement, like saying a foot or an inch or whatever the, the unit is. But it's a unit of measurement. Which one of you, by worrying, how does worrying help you anyway? We do it. How much do we worry? Over our period of life, how much... How many gastric juices get flowing and, and ulcers and tums that we have to pop? How much do we worry in life? And Jesus is saying, it doesn't help. It doesn't get you anywhere. So don't worry. Keep going, please. Next verse. 
So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Next verse. Now if God, who clothes the, the, the grass of the field? God. The same one that feeds the birds of the air? If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, and thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So what's God saying? He's saying, don't worry. And he's saying, he's not just saying, don't worry, and let's see what happens. He's saying, don't worry, I take responsibility over your life. You can take responsibility over your life, but God is saying, I don't want you to worry about that. God is going to give you something to worry about, and that's coming. This is not a, this is not a, you'll see what's coming, okay? But God doesn't want you to worry about these things because he wants you to worry about what's important. Remember how he told Martha, Martha, you're worried about the little things that don't matter. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? But Mary has chosen the good part. So it's not that you're not going to worry about anything. It's that God wants you to focus on what's important. And so he's telling you, don't worry about what's not important. And it sounds like food and clothing is very important. But the Bible says God's going to provide those. He says, don't worry about those. Next verse, please. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? 32. For after all these things, those who don't know me, the Gentiles, seek after all these things. The people who don't know me, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me that the people who don't know God seek after what they're going to eat and drink and wear? Well, what are we doing? Do we sound, excuse me, do we seem like the people that don't know God? It says, all these things, what we're going to eat, drink, or wear, the Gentiles seek. That sounds, it says the Gentiles. That implies the people who don't know God, they're running after these things. Are the people of God running after these things too? Guilty as charged right here. How much is tuition at that school? Three kids? How much is insurance? How much is a house? We're worried about all these things. But we're the people of God. God is saying it should not be so among my people. Because if it is so, if you're worried about the little things, you're going to miss the good part. The, the, he says there's one thing that's necessary. And if you're worried about these things, you're going to miss the one thing that's necessary. Next verse. Oh, well, let, let's go back a bit. I skipped uh, half of the verse where it says, These things the Gentiles seek and your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He's not saying you're not going to eat. He's not saying... You don't need a place to live. He's saying, your heavenly Father knows you need these things. Next verse. But seek first. So all of those were the things we're not supposed to worry about. Now we start getting into what does God want us to focus on? What is that good part that will not be taken away? When we talked in the beginning, we said there's certain things in life that overwhelm and consume us and they're not important and then we miss out on the important things well here it says what are the important things seek first since you're not seeking what you're going to eat drink or wear because god's going to take care of that it says seek first the kingdom of god 
and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I know that this is what we call a stretch goal. This is a goal that's like, it doesn't seem like it's attainable. It seems like this is, you know, this is crazy. Who lives like this? How many people do you know that live like this? Not too many. So I understand. Today, we're not highlighting that you've fallen short. We're not highlighting that you don't know how to live. That's not the focus of this. It might be true, but it's not the focus. The focus is God wants to teach us how to live. God wants you to live differently, and he wants to show you how. And he spells it out clearly if you have ears to hear. The Bible says, he who has ears to hear, let him he hear what the Spirit of God is saying. So God wants to teach us how to live. Did we finish there? Can we put that verse back up? Let's put up Matthew 6.34. Let's go back to 33, please. I know I'm keeping you busy back there. Thank you for your support. But seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. God is going to add them. You're not going to do without. God is going to add them. 34, please. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Man, that's a great verse. Just that last part is a golden nugget. Every day is going to bring enough trouble on its own for you to be worrying about tomorrow. For sure, today we have enough to worry about, to be worrying about tomorrow. God did not give you enough grace, enough strength, enough wisdom to make it through next year. He didn't give you enough strength to make it, or wisdom, to make it through the next 20 years. That's not his promise. His promise is, I'll give you enough strength to make it through the day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will come with its own set of trouble, with its own set of provision, with its own set of worry, and with its own set of grace, with its own measure of grace. The Bible says every morning, his mercies are new. So you're worried about the problems that are coming tomorrow, but you have no idea what mercy God is going to have on you tomorrow. You don't know how God's going to show up. You might think you know the way things are going to play out, but you don't know what God is going to do tomorrow. He shows up every morning and does new things. So don't worry about tomorrow. Say, God, what are you doing today? What do I, Lord, what is your will for my life today? What do you want me to do? So to, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. It says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and, we, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. You know, I've asked the Lord for my own family's sake. Lord, 
How much is enough? What do I need to give my daughters and my wife so that they will be blessed? How much, Lord? How do I split my time? How do I prioritize according to your heart? At what point am I not giving them what they need? And Jesus says, or actually Paul says, having godliness with contentment is great gain. If we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Next verse. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires, harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It says, with these we shall be content. Jesus said, I'm meek and humble of heart. Humility and contentment go hand in hand. Many, many times we fall into temptation. We fall into traps, into snares. We make foolish decisions. It says we pierce ourselves with many griefs for lack of contentment. When God said, thou shalt not covet, your neighbor's wife, his, his property, his, his life. God said, thou shalt not covet. Because when you desire, when you're not, when you have lack of contentment, when you have lack of contentment, you will wander away from the life of God and pierce yourself with many griefs. How many have pierced themselves with many griefs? Because We've wandered away from, or we did, either we didn't know how God wanted us to live, or knowing how God wanted us to live. Listen to this. This is, this, is, this is key, because all of marketing, everything that's around us, teaches us not to be satisfied with what we have. Everything that we're fed, the business world wants to make money. Business exists to make a profit. And in order to make a profit, they need to get you to give them money. In order to get them to give them money, they need to make you feel like you need what you don't have. Like you don't have what you need. So we live in a society that for many, probably for generations, we've been taught lack of contentment. We've been programmed for lack of contentment. Lack of contentment causes us to chase after many things that will pierce us with much grief but God says, you want to learn abundant life? Learn contentment. If you have food and clothes, what does contentment mean? Jesus says it. I didn't make it up. I wish, that, not I wish, but sometimes I read it and there's a part of me that wishes it was a little more extravagant. If you have food and clothing, with these you shall be content. But you know what? We have food, we have clothing, we have many more things, and we're not content. We have cars, we have summer vacations, winter vacations, we eat great food, we, we, we have so many things and we're not content. So God is saying, enjoy what you have. And we're busy not enjoying what we don't have. We're busy coveting and, and, and in lack of contentment over what we don't have. Instead of enjoying our family, enjoying our church, Enjoying our meals, enjoying our rest time. And so we have lack of contentment, which causes us to stray away from the faith. 
So Christ is T. Remember, we said Christ is going to teach us how to live. We've been taught how to live incorrectly. We've been taught how to live in a way that sucks and drains the life from us. And God is teaching us, a new, Jesus is teaching us a new way. And Jesus said, or, or, or Paul said, if you have food and clothing with these, you'll be content. Avoid coveting more because you're going to wander from the faith. You're going to be plunged into destruction, it says, and you're going to pierce yourself with many griefs. Finally, let's look at where Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. We're going to go back up to the, to the top and read that. Let me see what verse it was. So Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we read about that. We covered that already. Take my yoke upon you. So Jesus is saying, Jesus said, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or wear. But he did say, but seek the kingdom of God. He didn't say, don't worry, be happy. He said, don't worry about the little things. Don't be bothered about the little things. He said, don't worry about, the little, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink, but seek first the kingdom of God. So Jesus didn't say, cast off your yoke. You should live yoke-free. He says, or burden-free. He said, take my yoke upon you. So we think that if we could get rid of all our burdens, life would be awesome. But interestingly, Jesus doesn't teach that. He says, take my yoke upon you. Then he says, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light, but there's still a yoke and there's still a burden. God has a purpose for your life. So what we did was we just removed all those things that were not God's will for your life. What we just did was lay out what are the things God doesn't want you to worry about. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want you to have any goals, any purpose. He says, don't worry about the little things. Focus on the good part. There's one thing that's necessary. That's what I want you to focus on. Seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness. And all things will be added. So he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then it says, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So something that's clear there is, there is a burden that we have to take up. There is a life that there are things that God does want us to concern ourselves with. So we've said that Jesus came to give us life in abundance and to teach us how to live. We've said that we need to come to him and he'll lead us to green pastures and still waters. And that we'll, we need to learn from his ways and not allow the worries of this life to weigh us down and distract us from what's truly important. So the last principle that we want to see is where he says, what does it mean to take my yoke upon you? This speaks of doing God's will. So now that you're not worried about all those other things, now that your life is worry-free, what are you to choose? Where, where, where Jesus said Mary chose the better part or the good part, what are you to choose? Choose God's will. It says, it, Jesus was saying in all of these verses, do not worry about your daily needs because God's going to take care of them. But instead, worry about seeking first the kingdom of God and all things will be added. Let's go to John 8, 28. Remember, we're learning from Jesus. 
So we're learning how did Jesus live. Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, you'll know that I am He and that I do nothing of myself. Can we get the New American Standard translation? New American Standard? Because the New American Standard, it says, wow, that's fast. Is that the right verse? John 8, 28. So when you have lifted up the Son of Man, I'm looking for something in particular. Is that New American Standard or American Standard? If we don't get it on the next one, I'll just read you what I have. New American Standard, hopefully. All right, we'll go with this. The verse, the translation I was looking, at, looking for has a very specific word. It says, I do no here it says, I do nothing of myself. But the translation that I was looking for, which says the same thing, but I think it's clear, it says, I do nothing of my own initiative. I do nothing of my own initiative. I don't do my own will. So part of what Jesus, when Jesus says, teaches us how to live an abundant life, he says, don't do anything out of your own initiative. You want to go crazy? You want to get frustrated? Chase after your own initiative. Jesus said, did we find it? Son of man, you will realize I do nothing of my own accord. And then it says, or my own authority. But there's a translation that says of my own initiative. Meaning, Jesus is not doing his will. And Jesus says, learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn that you're here to do God's will. John 8:42. he says something similar. I'm just going to read it to you. I'm, I'm going to read it. Don't, don't even put it up there. John 8, 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would, have you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not come on my own initiative, but he sent me. What does it mean to take God's Christ's yoke upon you? To not do your own initiative. You want to live abundant life? I, this is where people start to not like it. Everybody likes to not worry. Everybody likes to not be anxious. Everybody likes to think God's going to provide. But the last thing that Jesus says in this set of verses is, take my yoke upon you. And his yoke was not his yoke. His yoke was the Father's yoke. His burden was not to do his will. His burden was to do his Father's will. And Jesus teaches us to do the same thing. He says, and so I encourage you, you want abundant life? Don't walk in your own initiative. Don't do your own will. Seek first the kingdom. Find out what is God's will. What is God's initiative? What does God want you to do? If you do that, you'll have abundant life. Most people don't do it because there's a price, and we're going to read about the price. There's a price to pay. But the Bible says that the kingdom of God is like a man searching for treasure. And when he finds the treasure in a field, a great treasure in a field, he goes and sells everything he has. He pays a price to obtain that great treasure that he's been looking for. So there's a price. Christ came that you may have abundant life, but there's a price to pay. And that is that you're not gonna do your own will. And when you don't do your own will, God is gonna set a table before you, your cup will overflow. The alternative is what we've had, which is the fruits of doing, of chasing after our own will. So let's... Um, Let's keep going here and go to Matthew 6, 24 through 26. 
Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Great. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to be my disciple, um, if anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself. <laughs> that translation is a little difficult to read. Can we go to uh, one of the other ones you had? I'll read it off of here. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life, so that's the problem, we'll lose it. That's the problem. That Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And you say, yeah, I don't know about taking anybody's yoke. I've had a yoke on me, and it's not fun. I've carried my burdens. I don't know if I want to carry Jesus' burdens. I've heard they're pretty heavy. Well, he says, everyone who tries to save his life will lose it. Now, Jesus is telling us how to live an abundant life. He's teaching us. But it's not an easy pill to swallow. The title, the subtitle of this section was The Cost of Discipleship. So Jesus has an abundant life. But it says, you must deny yourself. You want abundant life? You must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever decides to save, tries to save his life, you, if you try to dodge this, if you try to get in without pain, it says whoever tries to save his life will lose it. So there's no way out here. <laughs> Makes it easy in a way. There's no, there's no other better alternative. He who desires to save his life will lose it. But, does, do we have it there? Good, let's go to whoever decides to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So you want to, if you are willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, learn from Jesus, and lose your life. That's a lot. It's everything. It's everything. And I pray that, that God is speaking to you now. God speaks clearly. God is faithful to speak to us. And we ask God to speak and sometimes... We don't want him. Sometimes he, he goes a little heavier than we expected. But God is faithful. If I've seen anything in my life, is that when I ask God to speak to me, he speaks to me. And when, he, when you ask God, if in your heart you desire to hear God's voice, you're going to hear it. And God says, of all of those things that we read, he removes everything that chokes the word. The Bible says the cares of this life the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. I'm gonna, and I'm going to say that again because that's it's powerful. The worries of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things choke the word. So right now, what we've done is God has, we've gone through some verses that allow us to remove the thorns of this world of this life that choked the word but now we have a decision to make which is to decide to follow Christ to take up his cross and to deny ourselves and it says if you lose your life for my sake you will find it 
So I'm just going to try to summarize what we've, what we've heard today. We've heard that most things in life are not really that important. But there's a choice few that are. Very, that are okay? Most things in life that we fret about are, are not important. But there's a few that are absolutely essential. We've learned that we need to come to Jesus to learn how to live. Again, come to Jesus is not a religious saying. Come to Jesus is like David did. Lord, restore my soul. Renew in me the joy of my salvation. Lead me, Lord, beside still waters. And allow me to lie down in green pastures. The Lord wants to do that. And many times we don't want to let him because it means we have to slow down or we have to let go of the control over our life. But we, have to, we need to learn, we need to come to Jesus and learn how to live. And then within that, Jesus teaches us, don't worry about the little things. Focus on the important ones. And the most important is loving God and doing his will. That's it. That's all that matters. The rest is noise. Let's pray. Lord, you're a good God. You're faithful. Lord, we thank you that you don't waste our time. You confront us. Your word penetrates to divide between the intentions and the thoughts and the heart motives of the heart and pray that that this word would find good soil Lord we want to do your will we get tripped up our excitement for your word gets choked up sometimes we stumble but we're your people and we keep getting back up and we're here and Lord we're here because we want to do your will we're here because we love you we're here because of who you are who you've been And we want to be the people you want us to be. We know we're far from that, but we know that you began the good work in us. You began the work, and so it's not our burden to finish it, Lord, and that's what we rest in. So we pray that you finish the work that you started in us. And Lord, that whatever role we play in yielding to you, in allowing you to mold us, and transform us and take out the things that you don't like. We pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us and that your Holy Spirit would prod us and, and push us and that your, the Holy Spirit would be the finger that points out areas in our life that, that we need to surrender to you. And we give you the rest of this day, Lord. We give you our life. We want to see more of you in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.